The following lesson is brought to you by The Church of Christ on McDermott Road. Okay, well, I messed up the other day and I did not record um, our Bible class on Wednesday night. And because I want there to be a record of all of our Bible classes uh, from the beginning of this series of Being Human until the end of the series, I thought it's necessary for me to go back and re-record it. So I feel really strange teaching a class to an empty classroom. Uh, but if you're listening to this recording, I guess it all turned out okay. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, let's just review just real quick. Last lesson, lesson three of being human. Uh, the first thing that we need to remember is that we are, a human being is, you are a living soul. You are a living soul. The, the idea that we're talking about, especially the last few weeks, has been the Old Testament and as the Hebrew mind used that word nefesh, that nefesh uh, applied to a living creature, a living being, a living individual, uh, sometimes translated as soul. And so when the Hebrew writers uh, in the Old Testament said things like, um, I, I love God with all of my soul, or when God commands them to love Him with all of their soul, all of their nefesh, He's saying love him from the very core of our being. So being, I think, is a great way to translate that idea of nefesh. So your soul is your being. And Genesis chapter 2 says that when God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that he became a living nefesh, that he became a living soul. So you have to remember that you are a living soul. Soul is something that you have. We'll talk more about that when we get into the Greek idea in the New Testament. But more than anything, it is something that you are. You are a living soul. Uh, number two, you bear God's image. The primary thing that sets human beings apart from the rest of creation is that we are the image bearers of God, which, of course, as we've talked about at length, means that we are uh, royalty that we were meant to rule, to subdue, to have dominion over the creation. But sadly, you, me, the rest of mankind, humankind has sinned, and sin has caused enmity or animosity or conflict or separation between us and everything else. It's caused enmity and um, conflict, uh, distrust between us and God. It has caused conflict between us and other human beings. It has caused conflict and animosity, enmity between us and the rest of creation, including nature itself. And so there is this ongoing conflict uh, between humankind and everything else that is the result of our fall because we chose not to trust God with the knowledge of good and evil, and wanted rather to claim it for ourselves, that has caused this enmity, this um, conflict that we all currently experience. Okay, so let's go on to number five in our review. God is able to save your soul from death, and God is willing and desiring to save your soul from death. That's really what the Bible is about, is about God saving the souls and when we say soul, we don't mean a ghostly part of you. We mean your existence, your life, your being. God is able to save your being from death. Now, as that, that idea is laid out in the Old Testament, 
It almost always seems like when God is saving a person's nefesh, when they want God to save their nefesh, their soul, um, it, it seems like what they're saying is, save my life, don't let me die. But then there are these hints all throughout the Old Testament, and it becomes very clear when we get to the New, the New Testament why that's the case, that God is even able to save our nefesh from the grave, that He is able not only to save us from going to the grave, but even after death, He is able to and willing and desiring to save our soul, to redeem us from the pit of death, that He wants to save us from the Hadean realm, that He wants to save us. In the Old Testament, it would be Sheol, that He wants to save us from death not only uh, to keep us from going there at times, but even after we've died through Jesus, uh, through the resurrection, and that's what it's all about, is about the resurrection, that He wants to and is able to save our nefesh, our soul, from death by raising us and giving us a new body. But again, that idea we really don't find fleshed out, if you will. Uh, we, we really don't find that idea uh, that picture painted until we get to the New Testament, but there is that hope, that knowledge, even Abraham had that knowledge that he, that God was able to save his sons, Isaac's uh, life, that he was able to save him from death. And the way that Abraham believed that that would happen, according to the Hebrews writer, is that, that he would raise him from the dead. And in a way he did raise him from the dead. Okay, let's go on and let's talk about the idea of the spirit. Uh, today. This is that we, we've talked about the Hebrew idea of the soul, that is that you are a living being, you are a living creature, you are a living individual. That is what it is to be a soul, and God wants to save your soul. So um, let's talk about the idea of the, the spirit. Now, before we really get into that, and, and as I said Wednesday night, I hope this doesn't confuse anyone because we'll talk about the idea of the heart in the Old Testament and how the Old Testament writers use that idea of the heart. But, but I think it's helpful to draw a parallel in our minds because here, here's what, what happens is we have a tendency to create um, categories and to create ideas about our experiences about being human and describe those in different ways. Um, and in, in English, in 21st century America, we do that with the heart. We mean two things when we think of a heart, especially when we see a heart drawn like this, um, that, that we, we think of it not only as the blood pumping organ in our chest, in that way, it's a very literal word. It's a very literal idea that a heart is a blood pumping organ in your chest that keeps your blood flowing through your body. We understand that. We know that that's what a heart is. But we also have a way of talking about the heart, my heart, your heart, in a symbolic way. So again, we have a way of talking about the heart, and so did the Old Testament writers. And again, we'll talk about that next week. But they had a literal meaning of the word heart and a symbolic meaning of the word heart. So when we talk about heart, if I drew the, the letter I before the heart and the letter U after the heart and it said, I heart you, we would all understand that that meant I love you. So the heart has become symbolic for love. Um, when we talk about being heartbroken or something broke my heart or someone broke my heart, we understand that that means sadness. So the heart in English, in 21st century American, America, is both 
a blood pumping organ, that's the literal meaning, and it's also symbolic of the seat of our emotions, our deepest emotions, things like love and sadness come from, in our way of thinking, from our heart. Now we understand that that's not literally true. We understand that we don't feel with the blood pumping organ in our chest. We understand that, but it helps us to express our experience as a human being by saying that in my deepest heart, I feel this. And we almost feel it in our chest, don't we? We almost feel that emotion right there burning in our chest. When we talk about love and we talk about sadness and we talk about these deep emotions, we can almost feel it burning in our heart, in our chest. Even though we realize that that's probably not where our emotions literally come from, we use it in a symbolic way. Now, the same is true with and again, we'll talk about heart and the Hebrew idea, the Old Testament idea of the heart next week. But today we want to talk about the word ruach. We can transliterate that R-U-A-C-H, ruach. Now, the, the most literal meaning or the most basic meaning might be a better way to put that of the word ruach is wind. So wind, wind is ruach. Uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1 would be an example. Um, but, but we understand what wind is. We experience wind when we go outside or we look outside. Right now I can see the trees moving just a little bit. And I know that it's the ruach. It is the wind that is moving those trees. So we could say that ruach or wind is an invisible energy force or power that animates visible objects. So again, ruach or wind is an invisible energy, force, or power that animates visible objects. So I think that's going to be helpful in understanding the symbolic meaning of the word ruach. Now, wind is a very, uh, wind is a very literal thing. It's a very real thing. Uh, you, can, you can feel it, you can experience it, you know that it's there, it's literally there. Um, and and it, is, it is an invisible thing that is literally there. Um, but understanding that, that what Ruach does is it animates. It animates visible things, though it itself is invisible. Um, Another meaning of the word ruach, like in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17, is breath. And so we would say that, um, that when you look outside and you see that invisible air that is animating all of the world, that there is this invisible power uh, that is animating everything, uh, we would say that is ruach. But we would also say that within a human being, I'm going to color this in, is our breath. It's, it's all in our chest. It, it comes out of our mouth. Um, it's in every living creature, every living nefesh. Every living being has this ruach within them. Um, they, they are a, and it's a literal thing. It's literally within us. When we take a deep breath, we feel the wind going in and coming out. We feel it moving our chest up and down. Um, you can see that when you think of a deer or you think of a horse or a cow. They all have that ruach. They have wind within them that is their life. If they stop breathing, if the, the, the wind stops going in and out, then they're dead. Uh, when, they, when they breathe their last, they breathe out that breath 
never to take another one. Um, and, and again, that's a very um, easy thing to see when you just are observing nature and observing life. You can see that there is a ruach, that there is a wind that animates the trees and the grass and a flag on a flagpole. Uh, but you can also see that there is this wind that gives life to every living creature. If you saw somebody laying on the ground and you weren't sure if they were dead or alive, the first thing you would do was check for their breath. So again, wind or breath, write that on the board, wind or breath are very literal ways of using the word ruach. So that those are two basic literal meanings for the word ruach. Um, all living beings are filled with ruach, but not only is, are they filled with wind or breath, but like Psalm chapter 104, let's turn over there real quick. So if you got your Bible, um, Psalm 104, 24 through 30. Psalm 104, 24 through 30. Let's read that real quick. O Lord, how manifold are your works in wisdom. Have you made them all? The earth is full of your creatures. Um, here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their ruach, their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, your ruach, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. So now we're kind of getting into a symbolic way of talking about ruach. So in a literal way, there's wind all over the earth and it animates uh, all things. And uh, there's breath, there's wind within every living creature, and it animates them. And where does this, this power, this invisible power that gives life to everything, where does it come from? Well, it comes from the Ruach of God. It comes from the Spirit of God, that God's Spirit, like the literal wind, God's Spirit is His divine presence. And as we go on through the Bible, we find that God's Spirit is himself distinct from but connected to God the Father. And so we, we start to see those three persons of the Trinity of the Godhead. But, but we see that, that in the same way that the wind is invisible and it's powerful and it's everywhere and it gives life to everything, that God's divine presence, his invisible, powerful presence gives life and breath to everything. That, that it is the Spirit of God that in Genesis chapter 1 was hovering over the surface of the deep. The, the world was tohu vavohu. It was formless and it was empty. It was chaotic. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God spoke. And that's how you breathe out. And God's Spirit, His Ruach, His breath went and it created everything that exists. And so we can see that literal meaning of the word wind. And again, I don't think that the Old Testament people, that the Hebrew people would think that when they feel the wind on their cheek, that it's God 
blowing on them literally, that they realize that there's a distinction between the literal wind and the Spirit of God. Uh, but there is a connection and there is a similarity, much like, again, the similarity between the literal way we use the word heart and the symbolic way that we use the word heart. Now, Ruach not only described God's divine work and power in the world, but it also came to be used of, of a human's um, inner uh, power, that invisible power within us that animates our behavior. So in a literal way, again, in a literal way, my breath animates my body. My ruach animates my body. It, it keeps me going. If I, if I didn't have breath, I would be dead. I would not be a living being. Um, and when I breathe my last, my last breath will go out from me and I will no longer be a living being. Okay, at least in that sense, in a literal, you know, um, physical sense. And so there is the literal, literal ruach that's animating my body, but then there is the symbolic ruach that's animating my behavior. And so as we look through the Old Testament, it seems to me that that's how the word is often used. It's used for wind and breath. Those are the literal meanings of it. And then it's used symbolically to talk about God's ruach, God's divine, powerful, invisible presence that goes out into the world and that, that creates and it gives life and it animates and it provides for. And when I say it, I'm using it because ruach isn't it, but we understand that God's spirit is a he. Um, it is this, the third person of the Godhead. So please understand what I'm saying. Ruach, God's spirit. I'm not calling God's spirit an it, um, but it, it's a symbolic word that, that refers to a thing, uh, wind or breath. So again, wind, breath are the literal ways of using ruach, and spirit, whether that's God's spirit or my spirit, is a figurative way of using the word, or maybe symbolic is a better word to use, symbolic way of using the word ruach. Again, much like the way I literally talk about my heart and that I symbolically talk about my heart. So literally, my ruach animates my body, and symbolically, my ruach animates my behavior. And so when I say that my spirit does this or that, I'm saying this invisible part of me that, that motivates me to do something. And we, we even use these types of words today. We say things like, we say things like uh, when we're feeling tired and we're feeling deflated, we say things, in fact, deflated, that in and of itself is a symbolic way to talk about our experience. And we're saying, and this morning was one of those mornings, I woke up this morning and I heard about the shooting in Las Vegas. And the first thing that came to my mind was that my spirit is vexed. My spirit is broken. Um, my spirit is downcast. Uh, we would say in our terminology, we would say that we're feeling deflated. You see how that's a symbolic way of talking? And it, it has to do with wind. We're saying, I feel like the wind has gone out of me. We say things like, the wind has gone out of my sails, or that just took the wind out of my sails, or that just knocked the breath out of me. And that's a symbolic way of describing a human experience. But then on the positive side, we also say, well, that gave me a second wind. 
Sometimes we mean that literally, I just got my second wind, meaning I, I, I'm, I've got more energy now to do what I need to do. But sometimes we mean that symbolically to say, um, I, I, I feel re-energized. Something happened that put wind back in my sails. It re-inflated me. It gave me a second wind. So again, I, I don't think it's that foreign of a concept for us to realize that our spirit, our ruach, is the the wind within us that motivates us and drives us. Again, animate is a great word. It animates our behavior. It is the part of us that thinks, that thinks. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Um, it is the part of us that, that draws up a concept or that has this will that says, I am I'm motivated to do this and I'm going to go after it. It's that part of us that drives us. It's that part of us that um, is an inclination towards something. Let's look at a few scriptures to kind of uh, illustrate what we're talking about. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, verses 11 and 12. 1 Samuel 30, 11 and 12. It says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag, and they overcame uh, and had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken it and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading First uh, Samuel 30, uh, 1 and 2. I wrote down the wrong scripture. I thought, well, that doesn't use the word at all. First Samuel, let's see, 30, 11 and 12. It helps when I write down the right scripture. I apologize. First Samuel 30, 11 and 12. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. So again, the, the scripture says that when he ate and drank food, that his spirit revived. We have a tendency to think of our spirit as a disconnected part of us that's disconnected from our physical being. Again, we have a tendency to categorize things as either spiritual or physical. That doesn't seem to be the distinction that Scripture makes about the idea of the ruach that's inside of us. Again, it, it's a lot like our energy, our drive, the, the, the part of us that's driving our behavior to do something. So this man was literally tired and, and he was downcast and he hadn't eaten or, or drunk anything. And then when he had, had taken nourishment, his spirit was revived. Again, we, we have a, a tendency to categorize things in certain ways. We have a tendency to categorize emotional and logical, physical and spiritual. What I hope that we'll see throughout this class is that those distinctions, while they are helpful on some level, and what we're doing is we're trying to capture the essence of our experience as a human being, to say that was more of an emotional decision, that was more of a logical decision, that was more had to do with what was inside of me, disconnected from my physical being, and that was more, and this other was more about my physical being. Those are distinctions that we've made but they might not necessarily be the scriptural, biblical uh, distinctions that the biblical writers had in mind. And so when they talked about, again, soul, nefesh, it was both their physical and what we would call spiritual, what, what's on the inside. 
Um, they, they would say, I, I am a nefesh. I am a living being at the very core of my nefesh, at the very core of my soul. This is how I feel. And, and if we're real honest with ourselves, we would realize, I hope, that some of those distinctions that we make are kind of arbitrary, aren't they? When we say things like emotional versus logical, I mean, have you ever really been in the moment and, and been thinking, okay, now am I feeling this or am I thinking that? How, how can you really uh, split hairs and decide what is a feeling and what is a thought? Um, how can you really split hairs and say this is emotional, this is logical? Maybe after the fact, you can go back and say, okay, that was more of an emotional decision versus a logical decision. Why? Because I wasn't really thinking about the outcome. I was really just thinking in the moment. Again, that's our modern way of thinking through our experience as a human being. What the, the Old Testament writers would say is that we are being driven by our inner thoughts. We're being driven by our ruach. We're being driven by this wind, this power, this, in, in, or invisible, um, this in, invisible power that is animating our behavior. Look at 1 Kings chapter 21, 4 and 5. It says, Ahab went, out, went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. If you remember, there was a, a vineyard that uh, Ahab wanted to, to get from Naboth. And so he wouldn't sell it to him. And so he was, Ahab was vexed and sullen. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? Why is your spirit so vexed. Again, we might use the same type of symbolic language when we say something like, why has the wind gone out of your sails? What's deflated you? Because that's how we feel. That's what we've experienced, isn't it? We've experienced that feeling of saying, my spirit is vexed. My spirit is sullen. My spirit is downcast. I feel like the wind has been knocked out of me. The thing that was driving me before, the thing I was excited about, the, the goal that I had in mind, I was, I was headed in a certain direction and I thought this was going to work out, but but now it's not going to work out and I'm confused and I'm deflated and my energy and the power that was driving me, it's just gone out of me. And so again, that's, that's a way of talking about our human experience. And that's the word ruach. Look at Proverbs 15 and verse four. Uh, and I think this is going to kind of help us to think through not only that we all have a ruach. We all have this invisible part of us that is driving our behavior. And we have to acknowledge that and realize that and get control of that. Uh, Proverbs 15 verse 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So we can understand that from our own perspective, that when someone has perverseness in their tongue, that it can break our spirit. Uh, but we can also understand that when we're speaking to someone else, that when we have a gentle tongue, it's like a tree of life, but perverseness in our tongue breaks their spirit. Uh, 
Uh, we need to realize that our language, our speaking has the ability to break someone's spirit, to deflate them, to take the wind out of their sails. Proverbs 15, verse 13, A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but sorrow of heart, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Sorrow of heart and a crushed spirit. So what we're going to see this week and next week is that there is such an overlap when it comes to the ruach that animates our behavior and that drives us on and the heart, both in speaking uh, figuratively. So again, we have a tendency to draw very distinct lines when we think about the human experience to say, this is emotional, this is logical, this is my head, this is my heart. Again, two literal things that we use symbolically. So we say, this is, this is using my head, this is using my heart. And we think those are two totally distinct things. But when scripture talks about my spirit and my soul even, and my, my heart, um, and these different experiences, we, we might talk about the gut, you know, our gut feelings. Um, but, but when it talks about these things, there's so much overlap. It's, it's like concentric circles where there is, um, there is this, this overlap between these experiences. And, and if we're real honest with ourselves, that's what we experience too, isn't it? It's hard to just say whether this is my heart that's broken or my spirit that's deflated. Which is it? Well, it's both. A broken heart crushes the spirit. It takes the wind out of my sails. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18 and 19, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit, a prideful spirit goes before a fall. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So again, that your spirit is that part of you that animates your behavior. It is your thought process. It is your inclination. Sometimes we might even say it's your mood. And so if your spirit is arrogant, if your spirit is haughty, then it's going to drive you towards a fall. It is going to drive you towards destruction. But if you have a lowly spirit, then it's going to be good for you. It's better to have a lowly spirit and be with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So again, you have to watch your spirit. You have to be introspective and say, what is my inclination? What is my drive? Is my drive, is my spirit proud and lifted up and haughty? Or is my spirit lowly and is my spirit humble? Okay, um, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. A cool spirit, a haughty spirit, a lowly spirit. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So your spirit can be arrogant, your spirit can be humble, your spirit can be cool um, and laid back and not drive you towards rash decisions. Um, your spirit can be ruled by you. You can rule your spirit. So we have to, we have to be introspective and look at ourselves and say, what's driving me? 
and not allow our spirit to be something that it ought not to be and drive us in a direction that it ought not to drive us. If you remember Psalm chapter um, 51, where David is praying about his sin with Bathsheba, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or an upright spirit within me. That needs to be our prayer. And, And really, that's what, as we get to the New Testament and we find the Holy Spirit, and we find what God is doing with our heart and with our spirit through Jesus, through the gospel, um, where, where that's exactly what we receive. But we need to check our spirit. We need to check that inner part of us that's driving us towards decisions, that's driving us, that's animating our behavior, and realize that that is our ruach, that is our spirit. And our spirit can be, again, arrogant, it can be humble, it can be rash, it can be cool, um, uh, but you can rule over your spirit. So, again, just as a a recap, um, some other English words that might encapsulate the Old Testament idea of the spirit is mind, uh, mind, inclination, purpose, determination, thought, Your spirit is the part of you that formulates ideas and concepts. And again, that's a very intuitive uh, experience, isn't it? To say there is a part of me that draws up plans, that draws up ideas, and it's driving me towards those ideas. Um, God has a spirit um, that that animates... um, the things that he does in this world that gives life and creates. And we have a spirit that in in a very real sense creates. It drives us to do things and hopefully it drives us our spirit if it is an upright spirit, if it is a spirit that is in concert with the spirit of God, that, that we are creating things that give glory to our creator. We are ordering things in the world, the world that is still in so many ways tohu vavohu, and we are bringing order and beauty to a world of chaos in a way that brings glory to God. We do that when we have an upright spirit within us, when we rule over our spirit, or better yet, when God rules over our spirit, when God is our king and rules over our spirit, and again, we'll talk about that as we go, gives us his spirit and drives us and animates our behavior in that way. So, in conclusion, you are a living soul with a spirit. I think that's a good way of talking about um, those ideas of nefesh and ruach, that in in a literal sense, Uh, You are a living creature that has breath in your lungs. That's a literal sense. But you're also a living creature, a living soul, a nefesh, that has a symbolic ruach that animates your, not just your body, but animates your behavior, that it is the part of you that formulates ideas and concepts that drives you. It is your purpose and your inclination. Uh, And again, your spirit animates everything that you do. Uh, Number three, you must rule over your spirit. You must rule over your spirit. You are in charge of what you think. You are in charge of your inclinations. You are in 
charge of your ideas and the things that are going on within you. And you are in charge of where those drive you and whether or not you'll be driven by a haughty spirit or a humble spirit, whether or not you'll be driven by an upright spirit or a corrupted spirit. I hope this has been helpful for you. And again, as we've talked about in this series of lessons, that hopefully these lessons build on each other. Right now, we're just talking about the Old Testament usage of these words. And then we're going to build on those words with other Old Testament words and concepts. And then we're going to move into the New Testament and see what the New Testament reveals in a fuller way to help uh, broaden our understanding and our perspective of what it means to be a human being and to live as a human being in a way that brings glory and honor to our creator. Thank you. Love you. Hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit ccmcdermott.org.